because we are working with startups, right? they, they don't have billions or hundred millions US dollar to invest like this conglomerate. But I think this is a golden time for startup to tackle all of these opportunities. I'm sure they're going to have to spend a lot of money into upskilling, training the workers. I'm really interested in the ed tech company that is building products for upskilling professional in Vietnamese language. Because what's struggling right now is this global ed tech company expanding to Vietnam. They don't have Vietnamese materials. So it's golden opportunity for ed tech in upskilling space. And the second one, AI or machine learning startups, if they can work with a solution that is serving the hardware, like the integrated circuits design and cutting the manual cost in terms of design by implementing their, their own machine learning or AI solution, it will be really compelling for buyers like BitTel. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Au, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.braveseaa.com. Meet Rinkas, your go-to digital mortgage platform breaking down financial barriers for home seekers across Indonesia and Southeast Asia. They operate in more than 15 cities, in partnership with all major Indonesian banks and premier property developers. Rinkas is on a mission to democratize homeownership and create over 100 million new homeowners. Don't just dream about owning a home, make it a reality. Explore more at www.rinkas.co.id. Hey, Valerie, excited to have you again on our monthly show discussing all things Vietnam. Hi, Jeremy. Excited to see you. Yeah, so happy to come back to us, our second Vietnam show. Yeah. So what's interesting is that we were discussing and we were talking a lot about VNG last month. And it turns out that VNG delayed its IPO pretty much a second time in terms of the news uh, experience. So what do you think about that, Valerie? Yeah, so to be honest, I am not surprised because it's still not a favorable market condition for tech IPO. Even if you look at all the U US companies' IPO recently, like Instacart or Clavio, it's even they are bigger in terms of tractions, market share. Their IPO have been facing issues as well. So I'm not too surprised that VNG decided to delay its IPO again. Yeah. But what's interesting is that listener left a message to say, hey, we we're talking about the parallels between VNG and Tencent in terms of their growth strategy about starting from games into different businesses. But this person also said that we should also highlight the shared stock ownership as well. So I felt like I wanted to share some of these numbers, which was a good uh, flag. So Tencent currently is the largest foreign shareholder owning 65 million Class A shares, which is about 23% of the voting rights for VNG Group. And not only that, GIC which is from Singapore, has about 11.1%. Silita Investments has about 6.9%. And then Ant Group, which was once owned by Jack Ma from Alibaba, has 5.7%. So I thought that was an interesting dynamic in terms of the ownership as of, honestly, is this like a week ago, this news. So I thought it was interesting just to talk about it. I mean, like looking at the cap table, you can clearly see VNG has a really international composition of investors. And that's why the company direction 
is also getting towards developing into a super app. So not only just game, but also a chat app. And now they are investing and putting a lot of money into the fintech strategy, which is the e-payment, e-wallet, developing their own trading platform as well. So they are taking a lot of learning from the global players like Unfinancials and Tencent. So if you look at the cap table, it can clearly see why PNG is sacrificing and putting a lot of money still into the fintech arm. I think they have a lot of influence from the Chinese investor in the cap table like Tencent or Unfinancial. Yeah, I thought what was interesting was that I got to dig deeper and I was actually surprised at how big a percentage the game business is of VNG. So obviously from outside Vietnam who doesn't play any of these games, I always primarily look at VNG from all of these other businesses that we talked about in the last episode. But it turns out that last year, the game business contributed 80% of the total revenue. And what was interesting was that almost half of that was effectively licensed games from Tencent as well as Kingsoft. And as a result, VNG paid about $26 million of royalties last year to Tencent. So I thought it was interesting to see that it's not just investment, but it's such a very deep relationship, especially on the game side. So I actually visited the Tencent office back in August when I was uh, in Hong Kong. They come visit VNG office quite often, according to person that I had meetings with. And it's interesting because they kind of slowing down the investment activities uh, in, in Vietnam right now, because uh, as you are aware, PNG has been one of the largest investment into Vietnam for Tencent. Um, and they're still holding on for and waiting for that uh, IPO event to happen. So uh, we are all watching out for when the market recover next year and welcome Tencent to come back and further big tech investor from China to come back and kind of sharing their expertise into the tech ecosystem. Vietnam. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen is a lot of other tech startups continue to schedule, reschedule IPO, continue to, fingers crossed, uh, hope that VNG successfully lists in uh, Vietnam because as we discussed last month, this is actually a really important pioneer to show that you can go public both on the legal front, but also from an economic front as well. So a lot right of the ecosystem rides on them, pioneering and showing global funds that companies can go public from Vietnam as well. On that note, yep. I think there was a big visit from Joe Biden that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so a month ago in uh, mid-September, President Joe Biden visited Vietnam, which is a very historic side visit. and elevate U.S.-Vietnam relationship to, I, I think, the highest level, which is comprehensive strategic partnership. So it's really showing the, the new page and the short time between Vietnam and the U.S. in terms of not just economic, business, trade, but also political relations, humans, people, like education and training between the Vietnamese and, and the American. And for sure, signaling more investment into the economy and in particular the digital economy, STEM industry. So I'm super excited from these events and expecting to see further developments into making Vietnam a more attractive destination for FDI and more attractive destination for a lot of talents to come back or to come to Vietnam and contribute. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because the foreign minister for China, Wang Yi, also visited Vietnam the month before Biden came. So always interesting to see both the US and Chinese diplomats all going to Vietnam and making Vietnam part of their pit stops uh, and trying to sell their respective points of view. I thought was interesting for the US side especially was that Joe Biden was accompanied by senior executives from Google, from Intel, from MCOR, which is a account Vietnamese partner for a lot of these businesses, as well as global foundries. So it's interesting because Intel is a $1.5 billion factory in southern Vietnam for assembling, packaging, and testing microchips. MCOR is building a factory for semiconductor assembly and testing. Marvel was part of the group which also does chip designing obviously global 
global foundries is also building chips. So a lot of microchips in this delegation. Yeah, I think you're also uh, missing Synopsys. They are also signing a partnership with the Saigon High Tech Park and planning to ship some of their design to Vietnam as well. Uh, so we can clearly see the team, the biggest team from this big partnership upgrade is to invest further into the semiconductor and chip manufacturing industry. However, if we look at the entire talent workforce in the chip design sectors in Vietnam, right now we only have about 5,000 chip design engineers. In fact, we need at least 20,000 to actually accompany for all the movement of this factory that all, all the companies that we just mentioned to Vietnam. So I think it's exciting that we are attracting so much new movement on the chip design and chip manufacturers to Vietnam. But we also face a lack of a human workforce, especially high-skilled talents. And if we look at like the actual number, Vietnam's semiconductor export is just about $4 million, which is still behind a lot of major semiconductor exporters such as China, Japan, Taiwan, Korea. So I think we need to increase and somehow attract more chip designer engineers to Vietnam and also improve our productivity of labor, which is still low, comparing other countries in the APEC region. Yeah, that's definitely true about semiconductor exports. Vietnam is about 4 billion. So China is at 35 billion, then going descending order. Japan is 9.6. Uh, Malaysia is 8.7, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Uh, then you have Germany at 6.4 billion, then Taiwan at 5.5 billion, Singapore at 5.3 billion, US at 5 billion, Korea at 4.9 billion, and then Vietnam for 4.2 billion. I thought this is a really interesting dynamic where adding two more ASEAN countries, Thailand's at 2.9 billion, and Philippines is 2.2 billion. So it's actually quite interesting that there's so much microchip activity across Asia. It feels like the vast majority of chips exported is built in Asia, and a good yeah. chunk of it is being built in Southeast Asia. Yeah, Southeast Asia or North East Asia, like exactly. Korea, Japan, Taiwan. Yeah. It's interesting because when you think about high tech, a lot of people are thinking about the US, but then you're thinking about chip manufacturing, semiconductors, then you're like, whoa, Southeast Asia is effectively, and Asia is effectively the vast majority of these exports. And I thought it was interesting as well that Biden in his coming, he signed the act, an agreement that money from the CHIPS Act, which is a bipartisan policy to improve domestic U.S. chip production, some of that money is actually going to Vietnam to help train those engineers, the deficit you talked about, right? The 20,000 missing engineers. So I thought it was really interesting because you have American money the design for American production and manufacturing is going to Vietnam for education. I just thought it was an interesting dynamic. Yeah, but so Vietnam has the, the capability to design and produce our own chip, but we don't know if we can ramp up the quality fast enough fill the gap that China is producing chip in a very accelerated rate and U.S. want to diversify that supply chain and Vietnam is one of the largest candidates. So we have Bittel, which is our largest telecom company that is run by military and FPT Technology Corp, which is our largest publicly traded technology conglomerate in Vietnam. So those two announced that they were able to produce their own chips last year uh, in the uh, end of 2022. FPT even spin off in unit called FPT Semiconductor and they even have ambition to IPO in 2027, which is, I think is very likely if they are able to achieve uh, profitability because FPT has done it before. They have spin off the retail unit to FPT Retail and now it's like an independent publicly traded company in the BN Index. So I think it's interesting if this spin off of FPT Semiconductor prove that they can ramp up their 
quality of cheap to be on par with what US buyers are looking for. So let's see. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, innovation because a lot of this, everybody's trying to design chips and research because of all these sanctions and everything. The big news of that, that last month as well was like Huawei also innovated. They built a seven nanometer chip and then America was very unhappy because the whole point of sanctions was to prevent them from building a seven nanometer. And it's been barely a year and Huawei is really kind of either engineered or reverse engineered the approach of how to do it. So the sanctions are not as potent in, in terms of stopping the R&D dynamic that U.S. intended. Yeah, that's right. I mean, especially the Chinese, they have been investing and developing their own technology for years. So I think any immediate sanction will not stop them from keep R&D or keep innovating overnight. Yeah, this catalyst might kind of shock them for a short period of time. I'm sure they will always find way to diversify the supply chain or even spend some of the uh, education and, and training to the Vietnamese workforce as well. So I think we are the biggest benefit beneficiary of this cheap war. Yeah, it's yeah. good because both Vietnam and Singapore have been benefiting as well. So we talk about US investment, but we also have South Korea, Hana Micron, which is a Samsung supplier, also is investing $1 billion in Vietnamese chip production. I think we're just seeing a lot of flows all around the place as well. I think global foundries also so open a $4 billion Singapore chip fabrication plant as well. So I think everybody is just <laughs> trying to build as much chip fabrication from the US perspectives anywhere but China, I guess. And for Chinese, obviously, they're also looking to build domestically. Yeah, and I mean, because we are working with startups, right? they, they don't have billions or hundred millions US dollar to invest like this conglomerate. But I think this is a golden time for startups to tackle all of these opportunities. I'm sure they're going to have to spend a lot of money into upskilling, training the workers. So again, I, in the EdTech event two months ago, I mentioned that I'm really interested in the EdTech company that is building products for upskilling professionals in Vietnamese language. Because what's struggling right now is this global EdTech company expanding to Vietnam. They don't have Vietnamese materials. So it's golden opportunity for EdTech in upskilling space. And the second one, I think AI or machine learning startups, if they can work with a solution that is serving the hardware like the integrated circuits design and cutting the manual uh, cost in terms of design by Im implementing their, their own machine learning or AI solution. It will be really compelling for buyers like Bittel. So yeah, if there's any startup solving or looking in these two solutions, to these two problems and willing to either move to Vietnam or have a team, have a local team in Vietnam who are willing, who are able to talk to Vietnamese enterprise or Vietnamese conglomerate and can sell this, this solution to Vietnamese enterprise, I, I would be really interested. And I think this is like golden opportunity for startups. Yeah. Just want to add that in. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that's where I also met you a few months ago. There was a Singapore delegation organized yeah. by the Singapore Ministry of Foreign Affairs that was partnering with Vietnam on education, education tech. And there were a few folks that were focused not just on the K-12 system, but also some of them on the adult learning side as well. So what's interesting is that Vietnam is benefiting from this influx of capital because like you said it is a beneficiary of the global friend-shoring movement that America is trying to push for so people are trying to move the supply chains to accommodate but it seems like there's a big gap on the human capital side because you can pour in billions of dollars to build a plant but then the truth is if you pour billions of dollars
dollars into education, it takes years for people to learn and get there anyway. So that being said, a lot of people are in love with the Vietnamese education system. They've done well, obviously, in math and science. And The Economist recently had a whole article on why the Vietnamese education system is amazing. So I guess when you read these articles, you're like, oh, Vietnamese education system is perfect. There's nothing else needs to be done. From your perspective as a local, what do you think is good about the Vietnamese education system? And what parts do you think needs to change and get better? Yeah, so so I'm the product of the uh, public education system. I never gone to any private schooling myself. Um, so the biggest advantage is the affordability of the public education system. I think my tuition back then was like $100 or a year or less. I can't remember, but I think less than $100, maybe 50 or so. So it's too long ago, but the affordability, if you look at the actual holistic development of a person, it's still kind of missing because every class is a bit packed, 50 or plus students. So that means a teacher cannot really spend time focusing on one child because she has 50 other kids to worry about. And so the curriculum is also not optimized for every child development. It's very standardized, very textbook theoretical focused as well, like a practical skill set. If you look at, let's say, language learning, the curriculum is more like on grammar and mostly on grammar and, and not focusing on actual communications, pronunciations or developing soft skill, critical thinking skill, etc. I think the good thing is it's affordable. It kind of trained the students all recently this some disadvantage. The largest one is lack of practical training. So not all students will go into university field, university higher education, but we, we don't have the system that help training these who don't want to pursue higher education, but more like vocational training. That's why that kind of resulted in why we still, for example, chief design engineers. And maybe in terms of language learning, we need more programs that actually focusing on communication skill sets or speaking skill sets rather than just like grammar or writing. Yeah, I think there's a company called Phonos that has been building for some of that adult learning perspective, more from an audio book version. So that was interesting where this founder basically says, hey, what are people interested in? And it turns out people are very interested in Vietnamese translations of books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Seven Effective Habits, all this uh, business self-help books and very hungry, right? Um, which is uh, great to hear. Um, have you seen any other interesting startups that are looking to tackle this uh, adult education space or lifelong learning? Yes, I have. But I'm working on the maybe we can discuss after <laughs> it's like, this is a deal I'm doing. I don't wanna I don't wanna talk about it. <laughs> okay, maybe next month for maybe in two months' time we'll come yeah, back yeah. to it. You'll be like, okay, three three months ago I was playing I was teasing you, Jeremy, about this amazing <laughs> company that is doing adult learning and now I can finally talk about it. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think another news as well, some interesting investments. So I think Bain Capital did their first deal ever in Vietnam. They invested $200 million in Masan Group. Can you tell us about what Masan Group is and what it, it does? Yeah, so Masan is like number one conglomerate in Vietnam in terms of consumer. So you could see the products in literally every single house. Vietnamese household, even I have kambol and fish sauce or chili sauce produced by Masan. 
Um, so they, they may product as consumer packaged goods, um, but they have number one market share now. So I, I think it's very exciting that this is the first investment all of main capital. And then no surprise that they choose the number one consumer company, consumer conglomerate in Vietnam. And for my entails, check size might be even more than 200 million. Main capital being one of the, one of the top four largest private equity firms in the world. They do have intention to even invest more than 200 million. And we are super excited for this news. And for, for the record, Massa has a lot of all mega public and private equity funds that invested in them as well. So maybe it's not the first one. Maybe not the first mega PE that have invested in Massa. Yeah. So TBG, the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, GIC, uh, which is Singapore Sovereign Wealth Fund, as well as Tamasic Bank, Seatown Holdings. Alibaba and SK Group all are prior investors. I've actually previously worked with Bain Capital as a consultant at Bain and Company. So we were working alongside the Bain team. So kind of a perspective on how they work. And long story short is Bain Capital people are really smart. And they're really savvy investors. So I think it's really interesting to see how and what they're intending to do. Actually, I like this quote that Masan CEO Danny Lay said is that we aim to be a profitable multiplier in Vietnam's golden consumption era. Bain Capital's partnership is a strong validation of all the consumer-centric investments and transformation we have made over the past 18 months to win 80% of the consumer wallet. And I I read this quote, I was like, so why do you need money if you have 80% of the consumer wallet? Because that's already a huge amount of market share. Obviously, I'm not sure how to define it as well. But I just thought it was an interesting quote that was very optimistic about what needs to be done. They have big ambition. They want to be the part of living, like one-stop convenience shop for Vietnamese. So if the ambition is, if I go to Winmart, which is the local supermarket chain owned by Crowix, which is a subsidiary of Masan, I will be able to buy everything, not just consumer goods, but also if I need to buy medicines, they also have pharmacy store right there as well, owned Masan. If I need to get financing or banking needs, they will have a touch point of Techcom Bank, which is a local private bank that has really close relationship, close tie with Masan as well. And if I want to have uh, F&B, there's going to be like Fublong, which is a tea chain that was acquired by Masan last year. So the ambition is to become everything store of daily need for Vietnamese person. So that's why they need a lot of capital because they have big ambition. Right now, they are number one in terms of market share for consumer goods. But there are more elements into Vietnamese life that they are not yet number one yet. Yeah, so I guess what they're trying to do is go from 80% of the consumer wallet to 100%, 100%. of the household wallet. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> Put it that way. I, you know, I like it. It's catchy, right? But I mean, I think big things in store for them. Like you said, Crown X is their biggest retail business. Their valuation was $8.2 billion in 2022. And Masan has a market cap of around $4.5 billion. So I think these are unicorns. Maybe people don't think about it as a startup unicorn, but these are definitely billion-dollar companies that have been built over a significant period of time. Yeah, uh, at least 30 years. Yeah, so they don't come across your buyer as a startup because uh, it takes them years to develop and to be standing as a today. So they are conglomerate as well. Yeah, and I think talking about other conglomerates, I think South Korea's Lotte opened up a retail complex in Hanoi on Friday. So they did a $643 million investment because they decided to withdraw from the Chinese market and now they're focused on building shopping malls in Vietnam. So I thought it was interesting to see the South Korean conglomerate also moving to Vietnam as well. I mean, Lotte has been in Vietnam for a long time. The project Lotte Westlink has been developed for over 10 years 
years. So I think it's a bit delay from their end to to eventually open the mall this year. So it's a bit delay. But Lotte has been one of the familiar names for a lot of Vietnamese households. I have never visited the, the mall itself, but my family is from the surrounding area of that mall. So I should visit the mall. Just to go shopping for research. Right, right. But in my point of view, Vietnamese consumers prefer shopping at shop houses rather than mall. Uh, I'm not sure. So more is still... Why is that from your perspective? Just like cultural or legacy? Yeah, I think mostly cultural. Because primary store that can't afford these shopping malls, actually they are not that affordable. And Vietnamese prefer value for their money. And yeah, they, they like to hang out in shop houses, eat cheap coffees more than going to the mall. So a few days ago, I was I was in a new mall in Chiming City as well. And it's pretty empty. <laughs> I still think fundamentally, Vietnamese consumers are not more driven. Interesting. What yeah. do you think they're driven by? More shop houses. They like value for money. They like to eat in cheap local coffee stores or red shops and local ramps. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, a month ago you shared about how you've been buying stuff in TikTok shop and you kind of like buy quite a bit there. <laughs> I'm just kind of curious, first of all, did you buy anything else from TikTok shop over the past month? That's one. Over the past. And then two is we saw that TikTok shop got banned in Indonesia effectively over the past month as well. So I'm just curious about your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only been a month, so I haven't bought anything new. Or TikTok shop. We also discussed that event so in our own podcast. And our conclusion is, I, I don't think our government will, will ban anyone. So we welcome anyone. That's the beauty of being business in Vietnam. We welcome Facebook, Netflix, Google, Amazon. And now we welcome TikTok and TikTok shop. And TikTok shop has taken Lazada last, last week or recently to become the second largest e-commerce platform in Vietnam. So now they are neck to neck with Shopee. So I think we welcome international competitions and I guess the local e-commerce have, has been struggling to go head to head with guys Shopee on TikTok shop. Mm. On that note, I'd love to slowly wrap things up. I think the three things that I took away from this conversation was that first of all, it was great to hear about Vietnam in terms of the context of semiconductors, Biden's visit and how there's a lot of investments are happening in the like microchip sphere, especially in terms of building factories, as well as steering US capital into the sphere and lots of work there. Secondly, it was interesting to talk about your frustration in terms of the adult learning space uh, and also your excitement for your hopefully upcoming wonderful winning investment in this category, but helping Vietnamese workers and adults be able to upskill themselves because they need to catch up with a lot of this foreign direct investment. Lastly, I thought it was interesting to talk a little bit about being Capital's investment as well as Lotte's investments and all of the different uh, investments that are being made, not just in microchips, but also in consumer goods and consumer spending as well. Uh, on that note, thank you so much, Valerie, for this month and see you next month. Thank you, Jeremy, and see everyone next month. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.